Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host, uh, one of them, Carlos Cooper. With me as always is... Joey Elliott. <laughs> and very clearly separated from Joe Hilliard, Dick Gurney. That's a that is a deep cut that nobody will ever be able to be in on. Right. I think I honestly I see myself listening back to this years from now and not what what the hell did I mean there? Okay. Yeah. Um, we are here to do what it is that we do, which is drink a beer and then attempt to fight through the inebriation and talk about a movie. Uh, today we have one that I have been, uh, very much anticipating. Um, it is from evil twin brewing. If you are a regular listener of the show, you will know that this is not our first foray into evil twin. Um, probably the most famous, um, most legendary, um, uh, fan fiction, inspiring uh, <laughs> evil twin related episode we did was uh, world's most dangerous game and ready or not it was evil twins big ass money stout that is a stout that came in it was 17 percent, i think and was brewed with pizza and cash money uh, yeah. and also one of my favorite stouts that i've ever had uh i, I think um i only had it once so it's hard. yeah it's been a while but i it remember was, was really, really loving it and yeah so this one we have from Evil Twin today is a 7%er, uh, 7% ABV sour IPA brewed with raspberry, and it is aptly called What Even Is Blue Raspberry Anyway? And it has this very kind of pale green, almost just ugh, so close to blue, but not quite color. Uh, and yeah, sour IPA, not a style that we get into a whole lot. We have, as Joe has mentioned in previous episodes, been on a sour train lately. Yeah, um, we have. A very particular color on this sour, too, though. Um, you know, given the name Blue Raspberry, you might expect blue. I'm getting more of a green here, uh, like a light lime. In the shadows, it's more blue, but when you hold it up to the light, yeah, you're right. It does have a green hue. I think it's safe to say we've never had a beer this color on the show. Yes, <laughs> I've heard correct. somebody say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Carlos, I mean, I will say a, a couple of episodes ago, you were talking about how a sour that you and your wife enjoyed reminded her of Sour Patch Kids. I was expecting this to taste like you know some kind of sour blue raspberry, uh, given the color of the thing. Yeah, I could, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, but we'll, we'll be sipping on this uh, while we kind of. Do take a look at some films that we didn't necessarily plan to. We had initially planned an episode around a couple films that we've been talking about doing for a long time. Um, I think we've even mentioned at least one of them on air uh, at some point. But we, we decided to pump the brakes. We decided to put that one on the shelf. Um, we will get to it. Don't worry, loyal listeners. But, uh, but nonetheless, we decided to pivot kind of midweek because we heard the announcement of the death of somebody who, who we all consider a comedy icon, I know certainly um, ha has been celebrated as such by many, and that, that's the comedian, writer, director, producer, Carl Reiner. Yeah, so we quickly threw it up on Facebook. What Carl Reiner films should we discuss if we're going to discuss the, the, the film work? Of course, he's known mostly for his work in television, as that's certainly how he created his career, his collaboration with Mel Brooks through the years, and then um, 
And the jerk, I mean, was quick to be on the list. In fact, uh, one of our listeners, Emily, said, you kind of got to do the jerk, don't you? So we decide, yes, you do kind of have to do the jerk because it appears on all kinds of lists of the best comedy this and the best comedic performance that. And so I believe that of Carl Reiner's films, this is the one uh, that is the most known and certainly the one that we wanted to tackle first. Yeah, I mean, this it, it, it mark, marks a certain point in his career. I mean, Reiner had been making films for a little while, you know, cu- coming out of his um, early career in television. But but I think this is the one, probably in his entire filmography, that really achieved that level of notoriety. It also mm-hmm. started that collaboration that he maintained with Steve Martin over the course of four f- films that they made through the right through the early 80s um, that were all pretty successful. But I don't know that any were as successful as this. I didn't check the box office numbers or anything, but I really feel like at the very least we can say in terms of cultural staying power, The Jerk has been the film that out of his entire filmography and, and really even probably out of Martin's. I don't know if there's a film I would single out of his that's gone beyond this in terms of how it's impacted people's thinking about film comedy. Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, uh, except for Cheaper by the Dozen. Bringing down I mean, the I house. That... <laughs> He's had many great ones, okay? I'm not at all saying uh, that, that there aren't some, some wonderful, wonderful performances. But The Jerk is iconic. and, and I for just a lot gave of reasons... away my age in like a huge way, but also <laughs> by pointing out to the... Do you think of that? Is that where you're, you first go when you think Steve Martin? Is that yeah. where you first remember him from I mean, yeah, yeah i think cheaper by the dozen might have been the first movie i saw him in or at least the first movie that i was really aware of and then mm-hmm. bringing down the house the one he did with queen latifah uh it just and eugene levy and eugene levy uh the cool point <laughs> i'm not gonna quote that never mind i was about to quote <laughs> eugene levy from that movie well uh, you know if, if we go back in time to right before this film came out Steve Martin was a huge name in comedy. Remember in Freaks and Geeks how the Wild and Crazy Guy poster was on the the main geeks wall? I mean, it was a weird way to get a career. His notoriety didn't come from television work. It came from stand-up comedy, his appearances on Saturday Night Live, his appearances on the Johnny Carson show. He Because there was such a limited way to receive media, everyone knew who Steve Martin was, and this was to be the film that launched his film career. Mm-hmm. Which it Absolutely. did, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, I and, think and- so. And with a fairly simple film, I mean, like we, we, yeah. we'll get into this, but uh, you know, I mean, this is this is kind of a, a funny film to even try to synopsize because it really is uh, sort of an excuse to stitch together a series of really fun gags and mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, visual comic moments, also some some funny verbal wordplay stuff. That, but whatever whatever you think, I mean, the story is kind of hung on this character, Navin Johnson, played by Steve Martin, who, you know, it all starts out with him being kind of uh, naively brought up within the home of some poor black sharecroppers because he was left on their doorstep as a baby, um, not realizing, of course, that he that he's of a different race. And, you know, he, he has no recognition of that until his, you know, family tells him as he's getting ready to go out into the world. But then well, we he follow... Thinks that, he thinks that his skin color his is temporary. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> he's going to get... He's going to go back to being black again. Yes. Right. You mean I'm going to stay this color? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, but, but then it's like seeing him make his way in the world. I mean, initially launched because he has some sort of strange idea that he's going to become some kind of entertainer, but that doesn't really stick. And, you know, going from a few different, through a few different jobs, some relationships, <laughs> I'm just laughing, thinking about his, his, uh, carnival, uh, y- you know, period there yeah. with the, uh, with the stunt motorcyclist <laughs> his wife. And, and we yeah. could easily fill up 30 minutes Quoting the quotables from the movie, right? You know? right. He hates these cans. Step right up and win some crap. You know, I, he I, hates I, I, these I, cans. I, I could go on and on. Him reading his rejection letter that's been uh, wet. That's now wet beyond legibility, and he reads it. And, you know, we could do that all. There is so many. There are so many funny moments in this film. Mm-hmm. The film is dated with wardrobe and other things, but plenty of things. You know, <laughs> yeah, but the well, yeah, I'm just talking about the look of it, the feel yeah. of it. Um, but him in the fancy clothes and him at the uh, escargot. I mean, I, I laughed just like I did when I'd seen it many, many times before. Uh, to say that this isn't a funny film, I don't think would be accurate at all. And I think a lot of the comedy holds up. Joe is. I feel like so much of that was him anticipating that I was going to say it wasn't funny. Oh, well, if no one, if no one else brings up a conversation that I would have expected us to have, I'll bring it up because I think that it's something <laughs> worth discussing. But before we do, it just felt like you were laying the groundwork to, so that it would make it harder for me to say that it's not a funny movie. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, 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 I don't know where we're going to go, Carlos. Maybe it's the perfect time to set you up for the, 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 the answer that question for the hot take uh no i I wasn't gonna say that i mean i don't know it's (laughs) it's it's a movie to me that is funnier in hindsight than it is while you're watching it like as we were talking about the moments from the movie that you know where he like the cans thing and you know uh writing in his letter like oh i think i'm gonna get some new work soon she said she's gonna you know give me a blowjob or whatever like you know stuff like (laughs) that bless her heart yes stuff like that it's like funny thinking back on it, but because, like you said, that there's not really a plot necessarily. It's it's a fair, it's a tough kind of a tough watch. It is paced terribly. Really, I was watching it and uh, I knew I was going to have to pause in the middle of it to go to the shop. Um, actually, David, your uh, Fresh Friday nemesis. Um, the guy from San Antonio that you're always dueling with that I told yeah. you about. Uh-huh. He was in town and wanted to pick some stuff up curbside. And so mm. I was like, okay, well, I'm not usually there on Sundays, but it's easier than or cheaper too than shipping. Um, so uh, especially because he always passes the free shipping threshold. Uh, so <laughs> I, you know, always pay for the shipping. Anyway, um, and when I paused the movie, because I knew that I was going to have to go to the store, mm-hmm. I saw how far I was in it, and I couldn't believe that it had only been 40 minutes. Like, I really thought <laughs> I had been sitting there. I thought I was getting cl- close to the end. You know, I thought wow. I'd been sitting there for a while, because it's been a really long time since I've seen this movie. Um, Interesting. I, I mean, I can definitely, I understand where you're coming from in terms of if, if you're looking for a narrative experience, storytelling, right? If you, if you want each event to lead to the next event in a way that feels motivated and feels necessary, this is not your film. This, this film is not interested in building uh, a complex storyline that like each piece of this 
not a Christopher Nolan film. It is, you know, as we were saying earlier, a series of... Imagine if it was, of, though. Yeah. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's yeah. remake of The Jerk. Wow, I think somebody could do it, right? I mean, it would but the, the base guy the cunt, yeah. then, right? Because he's English, <laughs> and they use that word a lot more. Man. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that might. I don't know. Jerk. I don't know if it even had that charge back in the seventies. Well, well, that's I, what I I'm saying. In England, to... that word doesn't have a lot of charge. Right. Well, <laughs> it's, but, yeah. But yeah. that he is called. He's called the jerk. I mean, it, it could have been called like the moron, the the simpleton, yeah. the someone who's simple Jack. Yeah, bouncing through life like a Forrest Gump, where everything turns yes. out okay. Like, right. Um, right. like, which was um, a movie I also hate. Like, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, okay. I don't hate the but jerk. Still, I'm sorry. This film is not doing any. No, I mean, sure. I agree with Joe. There is a there is a comparison to be made there, where you have the naive yeah. put out into the world, the innocent mm-hmm. who sort of you know goes through. But this film isn't trying to tell us but, anything about. And there's also. And it's also, it's also quite comparable to Ace Ventura Pest, Pet Detective, which was made hoping that people would buy the insane sketch antics, sketch yeah. antics of, of Jim Carrey. And boy, did they. And boy, yeah. did they, Steve Martin. He and Carl yeah, Reiner would go on to... Well. But he and I would go. He would go on to do three more films with Reiner, and they're all kind of the dumb guy, the man with two brains. The, yeah. you know. Um, okay, so 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 here's here's my complaint though, and I think also where the uh, Ace Ventura um, comparison kind of falls apart is Ace Ventura, the pet detective, has a goal that he is yes. seeking to achieve. You are right. The, my, he's the, trying to detect pets, he's trying right? to detect I mean, they're, the they're pets um, yeah 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 yeah, I get, I, yeah but, <laughs> no he's but, trying to re- he's trying to retrieve the stolen mascot of the miami dolphin yeah he's trying to find I, a dolphin yeah. so we yes. know so we know what ace ventura With wants Loke. yeah we, there's an overarching goal we know what yes. he wants the part that makes the jerk harder to watch in like a i'm sitting down and watching this movie capacity is that Naven doesn't really seem to want anything. Like even his, even his exit from the home, kind of is like a leap that you just have to accept. You know, he like hears, like you know, big band jazz on the radio, and is like, I want to go wherever that is physically in time and space. You know, like what are you talking about? Just listen to that tomorrow, and like you can just listen to it every day. You know, like, uh, but for for whatever reason, he's like, oh, I need to go out into the world. Which, like, fine, whatever. Like, I'm good with that. But at some point, he's got to want something. He's got to have some kind of goal or motivation. And that doesn't I mean, exist. And, and so it makes it feel yeah. a lot slower than I would prefer from something like this. However, I think where this movie would excel is if I'm, like, doing a jigsaw puzzle and I have it on in the background. Or, like, wait, I'm doing wait, wait, something wait. else. Could we, could we, I just want to, could we enter this into that new genre that's yes. being constructed yeah uh-huh. as we speak over the course of several episodes of this podcast yeah. that yeah, is the party, party movie. Yeah. genre of, and the and jigsaw the puzzle movie that i actually this might be the first one that i actually feel like fits that genre somewhat appropriately where you heard I it think here first the, everybody beer in a movie has created a new genre of film <laughs> the party movie. the impact the impact of the this film is not at all lessened by consuming it in small chunks episodically yeah. rather than as a linear narrative because there's there's no importance no i mean there's a slight sense that you know it pays off a little bit like that the film begins with him on the streets um obviously having 
gone through something and like, okay, well, this is going to be the story of this guy going out into the world and how the world beats him up and how he ends up on the streets. But yes, how he gets there, what's motivating him to make those decisions is so, I mean, he's a guy, at least as he's portrayed by Martin, that I don't believe he's smart enough to have motivations. He just, you know, it just kind of like he literally floats on life. Like it just happens as, as, as he walks through these spaces. Yeah. But, but, you know, Uh, we're we're beating around the bush. We're beating around the bush though. Okay. Point point to the bush. Well, the bush would be beat the bush directly. Present the bush. Um, the, the bush that I present is the bush that I, I believe that it's impossible to not watch this film without revisiting some of the race-based humor in the film. You can't not do it. We're doing we're doing it consciously. We're doing it subconsciously with almost everything that we probably watch. Uh, um. Now would be the time that I'd bring up the uh, future Shia LaBeouf film. Or we don't do that. I'll leave it up to you guys. Too much. Okay. Too much to unpack. Yeah, Google it. Um, so what you have here is the notion of race being presented front and center as the source of comedy. Although, Uh-oh. they are kind of, the tax collector and this are kind of similar because you have somebody who is raised completely by in like in another culture that they yeah. would not normally be a part of. So I guess there is a little more similarity than I had thought. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think it's a, yeah, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Was, uh, someone asked me when I said that we were doing this movie, they asked me like what it was about or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, tell, I was like, Oh yeah, it's this guy that thinks that he was like, born a poor black kid and was like raised by this black family and then is white and like goes out into the world and like whatever and they're like that sounds not good (laughs) it sounds like not okay (laughs) and i mean i don't know i there's definitely i mean there's definitely some i feel like his voice is different when he's with his family which is Kind really of weird. Like, Maybe I don't. I feel like he, he he puts like, on but not more like he's of an, putting on. He's not doing a black accent. No, no. But he's no. he's he is has this affectation that is different from the rest of the film, which is odd. And I I didn't I didn't notice it. I haven't noticed that. I would listen to it, but he's certainly not doing anything like an imitation of a southern black accent. Yeah, he's uh, he's not doing a Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic right. Thunder or anything like that. Right. Um, and in the path, in the go ahead, David, please. I think you know, w- looking back on it, it, it is interesting. I mean, I think you know, th- we could take issue, uh, or you know, or one could take issue with the idea that you're kind of using this black family as sort of just a joke that you can sprinkle throughout this film. But in that, it so well establishes just how disconnected this guy is from any sense of reality as we know it, right? I mean, like the stuff that most of us pick up very quickly and kind of understand about how we define one another, what we, like that doesn't register for him. People have to literally tell him outright, no, you're a white man, for him to understand that he's a white man. And, you know, I think when you set the tone for the film that way, it defines the character so perfectly well for what's gonna happen throughout that I, that I think it's kind of worth it. And look at it this way, I mean, that that family that he grows up as part of are the most consistently decent and intelligent people in the entire film. I mean, people 
surround him or are almost as bad as him or or have evil motives or ha- or, or what you know like with the the uh psych- the the, <laughs> the motorcyclist who he marries um yeah anyway so i i think you know it doesn't it it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable now i'd get it if somebody said they think it's a racist um thing to use a black family as like sort of a punchline instead of something more substantial in a film like either put them in there in a real way or leave them out to me like making that kind of charge on a film like this that is composed of gag after gag after gag that's a huge what are you going to do build in something really important in 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 i mean yeah, because either nothing, leave it on the floor or include it. Yeah, because there's nothing like important in the movie, really. It's just you're just no. watching this guy stumble through. Right. Um, I mean, I and it's really not even saying anything about race relations. I mean, there is the one time um, in the fight scene that right. somebody call, uses the N word, and he takes great offense to it because he is one. You know what I mean? Like he, and there is that moment that as, I think somebody as he can quotes say, himself, okay. as he quotes himself. He, right. That there is like a racist element to that but it's not at all celebrate it's it's actually him like fighting against this thing i think other than that i don't think anything that's being done is from a racist place i think it was more of a this is such an not anachronistic as but it but this is such a oxymoronic thing like this white boy grows up in a black family and doesn't recognize it what what is the most absurd way we somebody growing up and not understanding the world around them well they'd be of one race and they'd be raised by a family of another and not realize that there was any difference between you know that would be how clueless this person would be the test that we've used in the past is is the use of race being used in a like a a derisive way yeah and we have said in the past you know that it is not played to derision in my like humble mind, and when I consider all of the people that are, are are capable of making these kinds of judgments, I don't put the three of us at the top of the list. So that being said, <laughs> that's fair. There sure. is a there is a color blindedness that plays really well, in my opinion, in today's times. In other words, Naven hasn't thought about color, uh, superior, inferior, different, left, right, anything up until this point representation of the culture is the issue and i don't these i don't always trust my eye i mean there's a a parody of stereotype here no doubt but is it a derisive use of parody i I don't believe that it is i really don't i think it walks a fine line i mean i definitely don't think it's something anybody would do today no way and if somebody presented this script today uh, and it hadn't been made before, I, I'd probably be like, oh, maybe don't do that. You know? Like, yeah. You could probably do something else. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, all, it's not particularly offensive. Really, the only person who's like made fun of for their race in this movie is Steve Martin. Like, his yes. complete <laughs> lack of rhythm and, yeah. you know, all, like, all the bits that happen before he leaves the house. He's really yeah. the only one who has any kind of commentary made about his actual race an inferiority to his racial identity yes yeah. right i i absolutely agree and i think that helps keep it where i i think you're right carlos to say it walks a line i think it stays on the the right side of it but to your point i agree i think this would be probably a gag that you wouldn't see most films include these days i mean i, I, I don't i would uh dare to do it there, there might be somebody smart enough coming to- in the there's that scene in the tax collector coming up where shia labeouf just can't salsa dance <laughs> and everyone makes fun of him for it 
Yeah, yeah. And I heard he got cast in the remake of White Men Can't Jump, too. So that should be coming along soon. As the Wesley Snipes character? I was thinking the Woody Harrelson. <laughs> that could be a whole different kind of commentary. <laughs> I, I looked at the Wikipedia page for the film, and at the very bottom it says that it's one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films of all time. The Jerk? Yeah, and that, and, and that the film led Kubrick to write and direct the film Eyes Wide Shut, which he originally intended on starring Steve Martin. Yeah. What the fuck? There were a lot fuck? more gags in it. Yeah, now, now you know how Wikipedia can be. Really Wait, say, say it again, David. I said there were a lot more gags in it. The whole costume shop sequence was a lot funnier. Right. <laughs> With Steve Martin at the, at the yeah, lead? Yeah, at the orgy. That'd be, that'd be great if there was some uh, test footage they had done for, for some uh, spec stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, but that, I had heard that about Kubrick, which is interesting. You know, I think that goes to goes to say, you know, Carl Reiner here as a filmmaker, is he wowing us visually? Not necessarily from a, from a standpoint uh, th that we would normally grade things like this on. He's not a visionary director um, who, who's, who's thinking of interesting and unique ways to approach things. But in terms of the comedy of it and knowing how to frame things and get the right, you know, again, for this physical comedy to see Steve Martin move through the frame that you, the way you want him to, to see him struggling with those cans as they're being sort of blown apart, but you know, by, by the uh, sniper to see that those things are all done. Well, they're done really well. They're put together the way they should. Now, Carlos was saying earlier with the pacing, he takes issue. I think he lets the gags kind of take the time that they need yeah. to build. And to, and to be executed, that doesn't necessarily itself to a story pacing, but I think if you take each in isolation, they're really put together in ways that make them work as the contained units of comedy that they are. So from that standpoint, I think that's where, you know, the strengths of Reiner as a filmmaker seem to be most present here, is like, like knowing how to let a gag unfold, let it conclude, and then move on to the next one. I'll tell you one thing I wish that I could move on to the next one of, and that's this beer. <laughs> you, you want another can of this? That's how much I you like it. I would love another can of this. The color that we talked about at the top of the episode is clearly a gimmick that uh, I could do with or without, or perhaps it's just a natural byproduct of the blue raspberries, whatever the... the yeah. What, do, what the heck is a blue raspberry anyway? That's not a thing. <laughs> It's so I mean, clearly there's a gimmick it's, uh, with the color, there's a gimmick with the with the can art, but the but the but the beer. And man, we are clearly on a sour tour here. They dialed down that sour, and it's just a refreshing, quick, and easy drink. I think it is nice. Seven percent. Seven percent, which is you know, the gives it the gold ribbon. I will take one little tiny bit of issue. I do find it very drinkable. I'm enjoy I've enjoyed it. I'm I'm not at all saying that this is a beer people should avoid. The the sour IPA, I'm not totally sold on this having enough IPA-ness to take on the IPA. Like why couldn't this just be a sour ale? Did you get the hop character that you would need to make this feel like it qualifies as an India pale ale in some sense? Yeah. No, no, I didn't. Uh, you know, and we've talked all the time about how some, not all the time, but have several times about how some of these beer styles are, you know, the can art has to come out before the beer can even be tasted. This is a situation where I imagine if they tasted the beer, they may have even called it something different. Good point. Uh, good catch, David. It, it, just, there's nothing IPA yeah. about it. Yeah. Just, Except just a the thought. ABV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. In terms Maybe of ABV, really. if we're thinking of it as, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I, so, I imagine that there are they the if you look at the recipe, I imagine that it has a lot of if, if from a hot right. perspective what uh, would qualify as an IPA, but it just is more sour than it is anything. And so it may be weird. that they did such an excellent job channeling those hops into more juicy kind of uh, aromatic elements, which I would I didn't get a lot on the aroma. But like juicy flavor elements that they're hidden in there, and the, and that it just becomes part of the the flavor. And that, but there's none of that back end bitterness that you would expect with an IPA. So, which I think is good. I don't know that I want it. <laughs> I you know, I I don't know that I'm a huge sour IPA fan. This is a beer that I am a fan. Yeah, the, I would. Again. The the taste, the refreshing. I'm gonna ignore that it's mis uh, speciesed as a IPA and just enjoy it's classified. it. Yeah. Hey, before we move on, I was thinking about our party movie genre. Uh -huh. There are, there are two sub genres, the films that everyone knows. So when you put the jerk on, everyone kind of knows that film. They're at least oh, one yeah. degree separated from having watched it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the films you're bringing to the party. And the one that we've talked about and kind of started this whole thing is still the Wakali world, crazy world. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. Holy Mountain. I mean, we didn't talk about the party film, but would you put that on in the background of a party? Our friend Josh. We, it has come where up. He, it has, yeah. Well, you know, a, a lot of things, uh, you know, to, to work out still with this genre. If, if our listeners have ideas, please, you know, send them our way because we're, we're, we're all into being collaborative on how we think about these things. And when we come back, we're going to think about another Carl Reiner film that has us with our minds and eyes set towards vacation. And on that note, our beer will tie in just, just a little bit. So when we get back. Right, uh, we sure are, and uh, and as I teased before the break, we are back and going to step into a hopefully wonderful revisit brewery that we've had on the show in the past. Only once, though. And this is Orono Brewing out of Orono, Maine, and we had their tubular IPA, which shows up on a lot of different lists uh, and and uh, and wows a lot of people. But this is another IPA that they do. It is called the Way Life Should Be, which is a slogan used in the state of Maine to promote it uh, to its outside potential visitors, along with the state's name or or nickname of Vacation Land. So that's I, I was kind of thinking vacationy. Um, here as we go into a film that's definitely about vacation, but uh, this IPA here from Orono pouring like an IPA should. Yep. Um, no, no strange color like our last beer. This is a straight up color that I would associate with uh, with ales, pale ales, you know. Ooh, and I love the nose on it. I'm enjoying that a lot already, just pouring. Uh, initial impressions, guys. Well, it's very, it's hazy in the light, no doubt, and uh, the carbonation's great, and the nose is nice. This, I think it's going to be one of those straightforward IPAs that we've been talking about recently. 
Right on. I've got a little DGM action happening over here on my end. Always and everywhere, yeah. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, as we sip out of our dirty glasses, mine isn't too bad, actually. Uh, we will be talking about uh, a later Carl Reiner film, just a few years later. This is what we're going to jump forward into the mid-80s, 1985. The uh, film that he made starring John Candy called Summer Rental, which was one that I have a great fondness for from the past. I had not rewatched probably in at least a decade. Um, so when we were thinking about what films to pair, it was one that stood out to me as, oh, yeah, I kind of want to see that again because it's been a while. Yeah, it was one for me because, uh, David, you put out the rule, and it was a good rule. Uh, let's not do a second Steve Martin, Carl Reiner collaboration. Right. So when you pull up Carl Reiner's filmography and take off all of the Steve Martin movies, this was the one I really wanted to watch because I've never seen it before. Okay. It was a hole in my John Candy filmography, and being the, a child of the 80s, I was a John Candy fan. Splash, Uncle Buck. I mean, there's some great 80s, early 90s John Candy work. Cool I had just never, I had never seen Summer Rental, and I can't tell you why. Which one was it, Carlos? Cool Runnings. Oh, oh yes, without a doubt. That, that a gets doubt. us into the early '90s, even. It I does, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he did. He did uh, sadly pass away in '94, but he he was pretty prolific there for you know a good 15ish years, going from the early '80s right through the mid '90s. Oh, planes, trains, and automobiles. My oh God. yeah, with, with Steve Martin, right? Oh I mean, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, with the, with the somewhat less uh, lustrous John Hughes, but we'll, we'll do it. Maybe we'll reckon with John Hughes at some point because I got I got a beef with him. But <laughs> maybe it's your beefs. Um, but so, but it is always interesting to go back to these films that we remember. I don't. Did you have any earlier experience with this film, or was this your first time? This was my first time. Uh, not only did I not have early earlier experience with it, but I just dead ass never even heard of it. Okay. Wow. Had never, so that, yeah, had no idea this movie existed. Until, I am excited uh, few days to ago. hear what you guys think. Should I go first? Because I feel like well, I'm going to have like that nostalgic view here. I'll, that... I'll set it up real quick. Okay. All right. Yeah, we uh, had a synopsis. John Candy is an air traffic controller in Atlanta. He, uh, his boss and superiors believe that he needs a forced vacation because that is a highly stressful job. So he gets his. Family together, including the uh, wife that it's difficult to believe is married to this man. The, uh, <laughs> oh, come on! And Andy from Goonies. Andy from Goonies, uh, and then you know a couple other kids, and they head to Florida. Joey Lawrence, are you are you you just jumped over Joey Lawrence's presence in this film like like it doesn't mean anything? Well, it doesn't have the heartstrings tugs that you oh. have for you, David. But, I mean, if we need to go into a Joey Lawrence thing now, please, Whoa. by all means. Whoa. Uh, but where he quickly becomes embroiled in the local town's politics and can only set the world right by winning a sailing regatta uh, in a pirate ship converted from a restaurant storefront and not having sailed in decades. All right, that pretty much synopsizes the film. <laughs> now, we, oh, and, and by the way, he's also, the politics I was talking about is um, between him and his landlord for the rental played, I don't know, uh, not quite as good as um, Ted Knight in uh, Caddyshack, but yeah, the same kind of basic, yeah, the same kind of basic. Richard Crenna. I mean, this Richard Crenna. 
from you know from uh, uh, first Rambo. Blood, yeah, I mean, this is you're bringing some powerhouse talent here to to the table when you're talking about uh, comedy movie villain with the 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 snooty uh, you know holier than thou. Uh, the g- character that Richard Crenna plays here. So it's fish out of water. It's a story. A vacation had already come out and made a lot of money. You can see right. that this is one of those kind of thematic ripoffs that's going to be, you know, be a star turn for a different, growing, emerging comedy star, John Candy. In this case, I didn't think that this film was any good at all. Oh, any good I- at. all. I am still and reckoning with all. the Joey Lawrence-ness of it all. I did not recognize him. Yeah, he's young. He's young. I, and they don't really, I mean, he has like three lines. It's a, it's not a not a big part necessarily. He's he a crucial part. You need that third kid in the family, but yeah. And David, and David before we continue, I, I almost want to apologize because I know that I've got some that come from the heart and my youth and I, and I love them and I share them and people are like, I don't get it at all. So I know exactly, you know, yeah. how you might be feeling right now. But no, this film's kind of bad. Wow. Well, I, I, I want you to expand on that some more, but but I do want to be able to at least say, say some things in its defense before you even get into specifics, if, if you're going to. Um, for one thing, I think John Candy on screen has an overwhelming charisma to me that to this day I can watch any film with him in it, and I'm instantly kind of drawn to him on screen. I just find him very relatable. Um and he, there's something like he I don't think he could ever really successfully play a villain because there's just something genuinely nice. And yeah, that would and, be a uh, hard. Yeah. Right. About him on screen. I mean, I, th- I think of him in similar ways with Chris Farley, although Chris Farley had more of a manic energy to him. John Candy, a softer one, but both kind of rotund guys who just their screen presence has this kind of affability to it that is unmistakable for me. And again, I know there I I know actually probably Farley is more polarizing than Candy, but I know there are people who have no interest in John Candy or find him just blah. I find him very charismatic when I see him in things. I love the the setup. I, I when you were mentioning the the air traffic controller and that like this, you know, supervisor pulls him aside and, and puts him on a forced vacation. If only our employers were so kind to uh, yeah. <laughs> to actually what care a, about our physical well-being and not just delu- fire us on delusional fucking portrayal of capitalism. <laughs> well, okay, but it, but it, you know. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. I look at it as a utopian portrayal of what labor should be like. You know what I mean? That's that six of one, half dozen of another. I guess the uh, you know I think when it comes down to his you know eventual relationship with Rip Torn, this is how I came to know who Rip Torn was. And I think he's a great actor, and I love see. And even though it is a ridiculous part, Scully, right? This this uh, sort of pirate esque. Uh, owner of this down and out bar. I mean, there were moments in this film actually where I was kind of thinking, "Wow, there's like a beach bum connection here." And I know that's I'm, I'm putting out some lofty, lofty stuff there, that but it kind is, of my god. The Martin Lawrence like ramshackle sort of pirate tour guide thing, just operating out in the you know bayous of uh, Florida, kind of maybe oh, okay. Yeah, there, there's kind of a you know a ramshackle approach to this kind of tourism industry that. Rip Torn represents in this Scully character, so that you know those are those are some of the things I like. Now, I'm not going to go to bat for this film being some kind of great 
whatever narrative experience i mean to go back i don't think it's as much of a gag film as the jerk was i do think it's trying to tell a little bit more of a story here and, and it is more again hung on candy as a character that we're supposed to actually care about to some extent there's a lot that goes on with the family i feel like there's an undeveloped subplot there with the john larroquette character that maybe oh, yeah. at the time it was going to be more of a contentious thing where his wife kind of strikes up with the relationship with this other local guy and that just kind of goes no i mean it just it yeah. gives candy a convenient way to be able to go work on the boat <laughs> then you know while the family's gone or whatever um so, so there's some stuff about it that i feel like probably got scrapped as they were making film and they wanted to trim it down to something that was a little bit sort of you know peppier but there's just some great i mean i love that scene in the restaurant the you know the, his his first real interaction w with krenna there where you know he's taking his table and like the pounding on the table and how krenna is this like total creep like pushing his wife and you know and telling his friend like uh you know no fighting here no fighting this meal it's on you. You know, he thought I was going to say me. And then and, you know, right. this kind of like setting up the character for just how despicable he kind of is in every kind of schlocky way. I, I appreciated that. I love the popcorn. I don't know. So, th so those are some of the things I love about this film. No, am I saying that this is something that is on everybody's must watch list, but I think in terms of for its moment, for its time, telling a funny story about what go wrong on a summer vacation, the politics of, these kind of resort towns that have the locals versus the kind of, you know, summer inhabitants. I think it's, there's enough there to make this an entertaining film that certainly because I had an experience early enough with, I enjoy now. Carlos, you're the tiebreaker. You're just going to have to wade through all the day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's not a very good movie. Like it just isn't. I mean, like the payoff at the end is kind of nice, I guess. Like finally it comes around, but there's like, there's some pretty bad bits and uh, I just there. Okay. So that I have a, I have a couple of like issues that I take with it. One is there's some like gags and some like jokes and things that are just so unrealistic. Like whenever John Candy is walking through, uh, the crowded beach with his cooler that's leaking water on everyone and he's stepping in people's <laughs> yeah. fucking nachos and like all the kind of that doesn't Squirting happen sunblock onto them yes that does not oh. happen nobody yeah. don't is, get as packed as that right. nobody that, that, is that, that, that unaware of their surroundings that was to be john candy's prime comedic you know physical comedy moment in the film yes it was really bad. one of them one and of then them, there yeah. are also oh, a lot of other i like it it's uh, exaggerated <laughs> there are a lot of other it times i mean it's nobody the general population is not as mean to strangers as people are to john candy in this movie i think it's like a very unrealistic portrayal of because i feel like people are meaner to those that they're comfortable with than they are to strangers like there's a certain like societal kind of pressure to not come off like a dick to people that you don't know unless of course you're like mega wealthy and don't care about anybody but yourself uh like for instance when you have enough money to solve literally all of the world's problems but just say fuck it and buy another yacht anyway jeff bezos talking to you um but it's just so unrealistic that anybody would treat this guy this way like he asks why people are walking by his house which mm -hmm. is like 
a thing that never comes up again. It's like so unbearable. The first time you see it, never talked about again. Well, like, it's a public I, walkway. What I mean, it's explained. He sees the sign, and then it's like, okay, what am I gonna? This well, is the well, public beach access. No, I I, I get that. I, I'm not saying that it's not explained. I, so so my first point when he goes he out understood. and he and he asks the guy why people are walking by there, the guy belches in his face. <laughs> That is yeah, so that ridiculous. It's, it's not oh, it's funny. Hilarious. It's stupid. That's that's, cr- that's crazy. Nobody would ever do that in a million years. And it's just like at that point he I is just being shit on they to take it. Take over the house. He goes away. He gets lured into the lemonade session with the woman who shows him her her uh, yeah. breast enlargement, which is a bad bit. Which is a funny gag. I mean, no, that's funny. Oh. That is funny. It goes way. It, it goes on way. Yeah. It goes on way too long. Oh, at the end of the film, her husband. And then taste of scully is gonna get it but they cut away you don't you like you don't even need to see it go down you know it's gonna go down it's smart filmmaking at the end of the (laughs) at the end of the film her husband literally says like she's asking him like a guy and he's like oh he's a doctor like i care about his opinion or whatever and he's like you want to go show everyone in the bleachers and she's like yeah that's a good idea and it's like come (laughs) on like this that's a bad bit but people he just gets shit on to a degree that is just absolutely insane and that like uh, uh, there is a there is a sh- an animated series on Netflix called F is for Family. Yeah, I've, I've that seen Bill, that. It's a Bill yeah, Burr right thing, on. and I tried to watch it, but it is another show where a guy is just massively shit on to an unrealistic extent, and I don't find that funny. Like, I yeah. I, I just do, I don't care for that. I can't. I understand where you're coming from. I I mean I think it's something we see a lot more cartoonish right i mean i think like donald duck or Affy duck even we, we like to do it to ducks yeah that you know like fucking ducks just the character that no matter what circumstances they find themselves in because of their braggadociousness which is what happens with daffy duck or or even just like their cluelessness they end up getting beat up by society i mean it's just like constantly being pummeled by everything around them and i you have to set up this is the try if we're going to care at all about this dumb regatta at the end it's going to be because we like this guy and we think he needs a win which is basically what you know the 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 film kind of builds to and so so for that reason i think it works but but i understand where you're coming from um i just think i think some of those bits are really really funny that the house getting packed in with the strangers when he steps away for a minute and how they just take it over and you know like they're making other omelets in the house the guy's on the phone the guy sitting in his bed smoking cigarettes with his dog <laughs> and the and the dog, the evil oh, eye. Oh, like, I don't know. This, this another, is... another great example of what I'm talking about is when he comes home and like he has like his leg in like a weird cast kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was odd. But and then there's like a party in his house and he kicks everyone out and then he goes mm-hmm. into the bedroom and there's a guy watching TV and like I was here That's first, man. Yeah, sorry, I got I got a notification no, from okay. my bank and I I kind of checked out for a second, but um, that, that scene. Great. It's a terrible bit. Nobody oh, would do that. Nobody would be in a house that isn't there. So- Nobody would shoot at oil cans. We're not. Gonna- somebody. <laughs> I mean, people. Somebody might be trying to kill somebody, I, no. and then you know, like that's nobody more believable. Would get excited about the whatever invention there that we didn't even talk about in the jerk. I mean, yeah. there's so much ludicrous absurdity which, in which the cross-eyed thing films. with the invention yeah. saw it coming a mile away. I mean, Reiner and Brooks, you know, I, I, I don't group them together lightly because they are, by all accounts, best friends 
friendly careers started together and they remained friends. In they, fact, I listened they would to hang the WWF this week with, uh, with Reiner from 2013. Um, and it's, yeah, they were, they were together like four or five hours a day hanging out, just, you know, watching things together, talking, kind of working. Anyway, so they come from a very similar kind of mindset. And both of them, it's always about bringing in these like absurd splashes. The, the, Funnier, weirder, more expect unexpected, the more they like putting those things in there. And again, some of them come off as, if you're in the wrong mindset, they come off as hammy and and schlocky and silly to a degree that you just don't want to buy them. But I think if you go in, and again, it probably helped that I saw this film when I was like seven, eight years old. And my mind wasn't so judgmental because everybody knows on the show I am the toughest critic of the three of us. So for <laughs> me to be saying... Yeah that this film is good means something. I mean, in fact, I think it's a tie here. It's two, two votes from you. I, de I think I, I definitely get two votes on my own. David, you asked me, <laughs> David, you asked me at the beginning of this yes. segment if I might go into some specifics. I, I'm afraid to because I think you might blow out, you know, uh, an eye vessel. Um, you're youth movie drunk on this, David. And I mean, <laughs> And that's a real thing because we're it all maybe Carlos's youth movie drunkenness bears itself out on this show so often because Batman and Robin, yeah, l the love of Shia LaBeouf and so so many other things. We could go on and on there, but your youth movie Don't drunk bring on Shia this, into this. It, this movie is bad, and the only specific I want to go into is that he's on vacation. And and the only thing that he can do on this vacation to find his own peace is to separate himself from his family, which no one. I mean, there are a couple of conversations about like he I guess clearly hates his family from the very beginning of the film. But it's this I weird. Don't think he does. I think. I think that's part of the. Well, I'll go ahead. Go I never ahead. thought that he hated his family. I just thought that that was this horribly like selfish weirdo act. And if we're going to spend time with our father on this vacation, we're going to have to go renovate a boat. That we have no investment in. It's not even fun work. They're like scraping barnacles off the bottom of the boat. So, and in the in the in the '80s movie way that it is, the family's hugging, of course, as they cross the fishing line in, in a regatta. But if you're going to have a 10 to 15 minute boat race set, there was just it was a boat race, you know, action piece, if you will. Mm -hmm. It was just so boring and telegraphed and the only reason why he's an air traffic controller is so that when the plane has that weird wind event he can say because of my career that we spent five minutes on at the beginning of the movie i'm going to be able to win this race after mm -hmm. all that's Nothing just good writing together it is just so silly. that's good writing that's good yeah. writing yeah. no this gets foreshadowing i i i understand this is not carl reiner's finest work let's just say that probably isn't i'm i'm, I'm not even going to argue that uh but i like I said, I think where you're saying that this film is, I mean, at least compared to the jerk, he had gotten to a point where he's working with scripts where, where the gags sort of ran together enough that you could tell there was some kind of narrative arc here and there, and there was some kind of character growth. I think, you know, I honestly, this is, I would like to, to have seen a little bit more time at the beginning set set up establishing just how burnt out he was because i think they really did it by kind of hinting at it with that just really there's one sequence where he goes to work he gets kind of parked in you know so he, he struggles with the car he's struggling on his way to work he struggles at his work terminal and they felt like that was enough and i think it probably is 
in some sense. It certainly worked enough for me when I was a kid. Now watching it, I feel like, yeah, it could have, they could have spent a little more time building that up a little bit so that then when he detaches from his family and he's doing this project, it feels even more justified. But I mean, the way the family reacts, they never get angry with him because I think we can kind of convey like the, the idea of this character is that he's gotten so adrift with his work or so stressed out, whatever you want to think about it, with his daily drudgery that he needs something to pull him out of it um, because he's suffering. Not because his family is evil or bad or anything. I mean, although his wife nags him about uh, the uh, coffee. But, uh, you know, other than that, she's pretty supportive. And like you say, maybe a little unrealistic. She, you know, one of the funny little tidbits as I was looking at this when I was when I was rewatching it and kind of looking at IMDb, I mean, she was only 29 making this film. And the the girl, uh, Carrie Green from Goonies, I think was 17 or so. So like, there's a 12 year age difference between them and they're playing mother and daughter, which is kind of funny. And it struck me immediately. I'm like, there's something a little bit off about, it. I can't imagine her <laughs> being and like, yeah, she was way too young yeah. <laughs> to be that, you know, so. Anyway, but I'm, I'm not totally surprised. I mean, honestly, I didn't think that you guys were going to love, love this film, but I thought you might find it to be a breezy enough kind of summer comedy that it felt like in the way that like a one crazy summer uh, might feel, which is a film maybe we need to revisit at another time. But I do think there is something I those movies. I watched this on Fourth of July, which isn't a holiday that I necessarily invest a lot in, but at the very least, I think of as a holiday and one that typically marks this time in summer where I'm supposed to have some downtime. Um, and I didn't really, I was kind of working most of it, but then when I did decide to stop working and I put this on and watched it with Aaron, we both laughed a lot. We both didn't feel bad about the world <laughs> for 87 minutes. Um, we had something to distract us. So from that standpoint, I think this film is, if somebody's looking for that little light, wispy distraction that's not going to be terribly taxing, this could be a good ticket. But yeah. I, hey, David, I I'll, I'll offer a saving grace. Another film that we considered doing as the companion to The Jerk was Reiner's Summer School, which mm. was um, Mark Harmon, Christie Alley, uh, Summer... Mark Rock. Harmon? Uh-huh. NCIS Mark Harmon? He's the lead in the film. Um, fucking a. I have the same level of youth affection for that film as you do this one. And if you've never seen that mil film, Carlos, I think that you would have enjoyed yourself a little bit more than Summer Rental. But at the same time, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be talking about how great a film it was either. And Carl Reiner kind of settled into these B-level comedies, if you will. Not the blockbuster comedies that might have come out that year, but nice budget, nice cast. Oh, you know, fun script, a few mm -hmm. laughs, and uh, the film career is not his final work, but uh, finest work. But I'm so glad that we were able to take a little break in our regular programming and, and honor him a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think this was this was a good good call. And and again, I think the jerk something that everybody does need to see. I think we all agree, even if you don't love everything about it, it's a film that gets referenced enough, and that it has enough of a, a place in sort of film comedy culture in in the united states at least that if you haven't seen it you're you're kind of out uh out of the game so th that's a definite summer rental i will totally concede it should be on no essentials list of any sort at any time 
<laughs> what about this uh, India Pale Ale, though? Is is this the way life should be? Is it close? I know we all like tubular back in the day when we, when we drank that one. Um, how, how's this other IPA offering from Orono Brewing sitting with you? Um, I'm not loving it. Interesting. And I, don't, I don't know if my palate was wrecked by the uh, what is a real blue blackberry, whatever we had a little while ago. What is a yeah, blue raspberry what, even? Yeah, what, what do you... Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that wrecked the palate, but it's very possible. It, this had. Well, how do you guys feel before I continue? Is it? Well, no. Play your cards. Well, I was just gonna say it's got that malt imbalance that I complain about that I can't give you the huh. scientific terms for, but it is coming in too hard and malty for me, and not pleasant. Well, you do like El Chingon, so it's hard to take you oh, seriously. Hey, <laughs> he likes dirt. He doesn't like, you know, a little, he update, liked... a little update. I haven't bought El Chingon in a couple of months now. Because the official oh, has taken over. I, I heard the four corners of clothing. Y'all shamed me right out of it. <laughs> Sales volumes had crashed so terribly on that after our review of El Chingon that I think Four Corners has been forced. AB has just X'd them. They're and like, they are. <laughs> Got rid of that 360 degree can, and it hadn't been the same ever That's since. Right. The, they true. did get rid of that. That, that did distinguish. I don't, I don't know. It gets into it gets into the individual palate. Why does El Chingon palatable and yeah. finding malty and not enjoyable? I can't answer that question. Yeah. Well, let me kick it to you guys. What do y'all think? Prove me wrong. I, I like it. I mean, honestly, I think that this is a very to to me, Joe, where you where you went at the beginning of this segment where you said you thought it was going to be one of those great examples of a sort of just solid entry into uh, a style that we appreciate um, that, that doesn't necessarily become like a new favorite, but is, is just a really nice execution of a style we like. I feel like that fits in there. I mean, uh, it's been a while since I've had that tubular. I think I probably like that a little bit more. I think that has more of a juiciness to it. This one, I can kind of see where you're coming from, that it's uh, that it has a little bit more of a malt forwardness to it, but it's still plenty balanced by the hops for me, and, and it's not taxing. I'm not like, it wasn't a chore to drink through that. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm definitely, I'm a fan. It's good. <laughs> uh, I I like it. I don't um I don't find it to be too malty. I it's definitely not like like a juice bomb like super light floral, you know, mm. juicier um easy breezy kind of IPA maybe, but um it's good. I mean, it's got it's got uh, I think a good balance of bitterness. Uh, mm-hmm. In it, uh, I as as you know, I'm not a fan of the more bitter uh, IPAs right. and pale ales, but I think this one this one has reached the maximum bitterness that I will accept, um, it, while still being enjoyable, and I'm finding it enjoyable. And let me just um, take one more sip here, get get a little. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> It's you know, but but I think what you were saying, Joe, about you know, to some beers are just going to strike you is, yeah, I I can get that, yeah, Um, that you know, and and sometimes it's just and it is sequencing. Sometimes I question whether or not it made sense to put this one first or second, 
um, knowing that that blue raspberry was going to be probably a much more intense kind of flavor experience than, than this one. Um, I don't think it wrecked my palate, but I could definitely see it setting you know, you up for not enjoying it as much. All right, well, David, yeah. s send one more over, and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll have one a little later this evening when okay. my palate is nice and fresh. Very nice, very nice. Did we say what episode the tubular came from? Do we? Uh, I don't think we gave a number. Well, tubular. Uh, one of the other reasons why it's no, it's worth noting what episode it was from is because we paired it with Sword of Trust, uh, and yes. we just recently um, talked about the passing of Lynn Shelton. And even though we only did two of her movies here on the show, she was one of those filmmakers that we were looking forward to her work. Yes, and now my computer's my computer's frozen up, and I've been vamping while I try to get that episode number, and I, <laughs> I've been unavailable to get that done for us, guys. So that's all right. Oh. Um, Give me a second; I'll, I'll get that information for us. Okay. Um, but yeah, ha, you know, rest in peace, Carl Reiner. Um, obviously, like Absolutely. a huge figure in ninety-eight. Comedy. I mean, that is it's a good run. You you gotta. This is definitely one of those where. When, when I heard he had died, um, it was more of a, okay, let's take this moment to celebrate this guy's career, not like a, oh, my God, I can't believe it. You know, that that's that's how this one felt. Whenever, 98. Yeah, 98. Yeah. Whenever um, they had done a Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee episode, and I think maybe it was just a Mel Brooks episode, but then, like, Carl Reiner, I think, was there for a lot of the time, and they were like, yeah, we hang out every day, and, like, they were both there, and I'm like, man, these guys are really fucking old. They're still, like hanging in there and kicking it and hanging out every day and like mm -hmm. you know, i think they live they live really close to each other so they would just like walk over to each other's houses or whatever um but yeah definitely uh quite the career quite the life gave us rob reiner too so thank you for that spinal tap mm -hmm. etc um and uh yeah i'm glad you know that um we were able to 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 do this. Also, let's not overlook his Oceans uh, contribution, Oceans Eleven, and oh, true, all that yeah, stuff. You're right. Uh, I liked him in those movies. Um, mm -hmm. But what do you think? Do you have any kind of attachment to Carl Reiner and or these films or his other work that we did not mention? Um, and have you had either one of these beers? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show. I've been I've been rocking the boat on Twitter lately. Uh, just so everyone knows, there have been sure some beer, beer in a movie Twitter polls that have gone down, and we have decided that Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl is a great movie, and we have also decided that Will Ferrell is indeed not funny. Both Twitter polls oh, uh, yielded it. said results. Um, hey, it's not me; it's the people that are speaking. Okay, so you are an incendiary Twitter user, and I love it. I just. I, I, I'm just giving the, the people a voice to, you know, um, speak their minds. Uh, yeah. You can also find us on Instagram at Beer in a Movie and Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX. I had to burp. Uh, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com <laughs> is our home base. You can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes, which you really should be doing right now because episode 100 is coming in hot. Uh, so you got to listen to all, all of. 97 before today i think or 96 and then make sure you have listened to every single beer in a movie episode before episode 100 um for no particular reason other than i just think you should do that um but this has been another great episode um 
and I think some great beers and some mixed results on the films. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> and for others, mixed results on the beers. Um, but yeah. Anyway, until next time. He hates these cans. Thank you.